Thank you, Jim. Just once, I want you to come tuck me in. <laughs> you do such a great job. Well, this week, I had another birthday. Another birthday, and my wife gave me a gift. I want to show it to you. an earring here from somebody. <laughs> you probably notice I'm looking straight ahead, but I can read what's below me. It's, it's amazing. These are called lazy readers. Who is this? These are called lazy readers, and they work like a, a periscope. I'm looking this way, but I'm actually seeing this way. And what you do is you lay in bed, and you can read. <laughs> or you lay in bed, and you can watch television while you're laying flat. Now, I know you're going to rush out and buy these, and probably some of you have already got Amazon pulled up. <laughs> but this is just an amazing feature. Um, and I thought, you know, it could work well in other situations, like students who want to text in their class instead of, um, you know, look at, look at their professors. Or let's say that you're in a, uh, a, a church service that's terribly dull and you'd rather text a friend. Or you're in this class and you want to cross-stitch instead of pay attention to me. You could just, a couple of times you could nod and give the impression that you're paying attention. But I thought, you know, what would really be cool is for me to be able to just continue to wear these and I can keep looking at my notes but it looks like I'm engaging with you. <laughs> I think these are just brilliant. The first time I put them on, uh, you see your feet. <laughs> and it, I guess it's good with another birthday that I can still see my feet. <laughs> Something else gets in the way before I get there. What? I'll reach, reach my feet. Well, the glasses don't help you reach your feet, but they will let you see your feet. So I thought, man, that's fantastic. But anyway, after I thought a little bit about the glasses, I thought, um, what an illustration this is of the Word of God. The Word of God is, in a sense, like wearing these lazy readers in that, uh, you know, Psalm 119's most famous verse is that, uh, that Amy Grant song, Thy Word. You remember that? Let's say that verse together. Thy word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The Bible is like a lamp to our feet. In other words, it shows us just the next few steps. Think about the cars we drive. It's the same way with cars. Cars don't show you, the whole, doesn't light up you know, all the way down to San Antonio. It just shows you the next you know, 100 yards or so, because that's all you need to see. The rest you'll see as you need to see it. And God often does that in our lives. He will not show us the whole full picture, but he shows us just the next step. What's next? Um, it's helpful on a lot of levels because a lamp gives us light, light to our path. 
Think about it. If you've got 20-20 vision or if you are as blind as a bat and can barely see, it, takes, it still takes something outside of you in order to see anything, and that's light. We can't see without light. Light is what enters and does all its refracting that it does inside our amazing eyes, and then we're able to transfer that, those images to our brain and make sense of it because of the light that enters. But when we are in the darkness, of course, we can't see a thing. It takes something outside ourselves for us to process it in order to discern what, what there is. Light. The Bible is light. It is like that. There's another great verse that talks about God's guidance in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which probably many of you know as well. Let's say that together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That different translations kind of muddy up the end of it. But uh, we get the sense of that, that we're placing our faith in something outside ourselves, not in ourselves. Don't trust in yourself, but you trust in God. And that's the challenge. The challenge is that most of us live our lives day to day. We see with these little guys on. We see just our feet. We see just the details right in front of us. We can't see what's miles ahead of us in God's will. But as we look, interestingly, at the road behind us, which we all can look at in reflection, we see God's faithfulness there. We see God's faithfulness there. That's one thing I love about Psalm 23 when it talks about the three different perspectives that are there for the sheep. The sheep says, um, how does Psalm 23 go? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he says, he leads me. So if God is leading you, then you're looking at the Lord in front of you. And then in the valley of the shadow, he is beside you. And then goodness and mercy shall follow me. If they're following you, they're behind you. And so you've got these three different perspectives all in that psalm of God leading, God beside us in the valley, and then we look back and we see, what do you know? Grace and mercy have been with us the whole time. But it takes looking back to give us confidence to move forward. And this is what God's Word does for us. Well, let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And as I said, our challenge is that we tend to look only at the road we're walking because that's all we can see. And because that's all we see, we oftentimes think that's all there is to see. And the reality is there's so much more ahead of us. Um, These lazy readers are great because they show us our feet or the next step or so, but I think it would be more biblical to kind of pull off one of the mirrors so that you've got one mirror looking at your feet and then the other eye seeing far ahead. Imagine how fun that would be to walk around. Kind of, you know, seeing, seeing one thing and, and, and far in the distance. But that's a very biblical mindset, not only to look at what's right in front of us, but also to keep a view on the future and that which God has revealed in us, to see both near and far. 1 Peter chapter 1, look down at verse 23, and let's get some perspective 
on what Peter tells us regarding this light or the word of God in our lives. Verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. So Peter says that our salvation occurred from something not that is perishable, but something that is imperishable, that is, the word of God. And then he gives us this beautiful illustration in verse 24. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So taking it back again to how you've been born again, verse 23, you were born again because this word was preached to you. It's in an, and it's a timeless, it's an eternal word, the Bible. And it's contrasted with, Peter says, all flesh. All flesh. And it, it has glory, but its glory is like the flower of grass. So what we can see in our lives today is all flesh. We look around, we see people. We see the animal kingdom. We see the physical world around us. But Peter reminds us that all that we see is like a flower. And a flower, as we all know, doesn't last long. It withers like grass. It dies. But in contrast, the Word of God is forever. And that's why he gives a very, very practical application of that in chapter 2. He begins, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Probably better to translate that since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Because we have. We have been endowed by incredible grace. So Peter's saying, look, the word of God lasts forever. All that we see, the flesh that's all around us, is temporary. And he says, therefore, put aside all these bad qualities. Interesting. All these bad qualities, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, these are, are all uh, relationship things that, that are bad <laughs> in, in our relationship with one another. We put these aside. And like newborn babes, we long for the pure milk of the word. Yesterday, Kathy and I were spending time with our daughters and son-in-law, and our, of course our grandson, Caleb. And Caleb starts being fussy and starts crying. And, you know, dads and granddads immediately assume it's the diaper. But uh, Caleb's mom goes, no, he's hungry, hungry. And so she takes him off in the other room and satisfies his hunger. A newborn babe longs for the pure milk of the word. It's a beautiful illustration because all of us who have been around little babies know that nothing satisfies a baby like what a baby craves. A fussy baby craves milk. And Peter uses this as an example of us we need to be fussy babies about the Word of God. He says that the Word of God long for the pure milk of this eternal Word that endures because it is by it, it is by the Bible that you grow in respect to salvation. And there's nothing else added there. 
the Bible, this beautiful, wonderful gift by God that is in our laps or is on our devices, its intention, Peter says, is to cause us to grow in our salvation, in our spiritual lives. And apart from the word of God, there is not healthy growth. There's not healthy growth. Our challenge is that we want what we want. And after we grow up and quit being babies and have our own paychecks, we can buy what we want. If we want to eat junk food all the time, we do. And we'll drive through and eat whatever we want and get really unhealthy. We, we often eat based on our tastes, not based on our needs. And so we all struggle with that. I want to be great in heaven when pecan pie will be healthy? I just can't wait for that. And there will be no green bean casserole. All that goes to hell. But pecan pie, the food of angels. I remember I used to tell my mom, she'd say, finish your vegetables. And I'd say, Mom, I'm full. She says, eat. I said, well, the vegetable part of my stomach is full. The, the dessert part of my stomach is empty. <laughs> and she said, well, put some vegetables in the dessert part. And it doesn't work like that. We want what we want. We crave what we want. This is how it works. And Peter says a baby's that way, except a baby's that way in the right way. The baby craves milk. We as Christians were designed by God to crave one thing, but we don't. And so this is why Peter uh, tells us, commands us to do it. It is an imperative. Verse 2 says, long for the pure milk of the word. That is an imperative. He commands us to desire the Bible. Why? Because it's by the Bible that we grow. So a principle that we can take away from this wonderful short passage here is this. The priority that we give to God's word equals the priority we give to our spiritual growth. The priority that we give to God's word equals the priority we give to our spiritual growth. And spiritual growth is what we need. We are not healthy people if we are not spiritual people. God designed us to be in fellowship with him. And every person on the planet has that need, whether they know it or not. The Center for Bible Engagement surveyed more than 200,000 people around the world about their spiritual lives. The Center for Bible Engagement. In fact, one of the things that they discovered from the research is that the lives of Christians, of Christians who do not read the Bible, is basically uh, no different than the lives of unbelievers. That the Bible is what makes the difference. In fact, it says that the Christians who do engage in Scripture four or more times per week, their lives look radically different from those who don't. And they gave a bunch of statistics. Some of them I'll read to you. The research found out, and I'll just read, the, I'll just quote their statistics here. It says, someone who reads, quote, someone who reads or listens to Scripture four times a week is 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness, 
59% less likely to view pornography, 228% more likely to share their faith, and 407% more likely to memorize Scripture just by simply reading the Bible four times a week. God's Word is meant to change our lives and our regular exposure to it, just like a baby's regular exposure to the pure milk of its mother causes growth, just as God designed it to. When God parceled out the 12 tribes throughout the land, right after they left Egypt, they, were, they went to Sinai to get the Bible. Have you ever noticed, just geographically, what happened right after they left Egypt to go to the Promised Land? They started by turning away from the Promised Land. Really weird. I mean, if God was a travel director, he would be out of business. <laughs> but they immediately did not go straight into the Promised Land. For one reason, they said, uh, God said, they'll be afraid and so, uh, because of battle. And so they needed something that would help them. They needed what they didn't have before, and that is the Word of God. They went down to Sinai and basically began, the, the Word of God began to be written. And Moses began to write it all the way up to the plains of Moab, right across from Jericho. By that time, Moses had written the first five books of the Bible, and they went in with Scripture in their hands. They didn't enter the Promised Land. They didn't enter the future of God's will for them until they had the Bible. And that's a great lesson for us as well because we tend to want to rush ahead before we have the Bible. Think about that on a daily basis, not just in life. But when God, they finally got in the land and God parceled out the 12 tribes all in the land, there was one tribe that didn't get any land. What tribe was that? Levi. Levi. Exactly. Because they didn't get a big swath of land, they got cities all over the land. 48 Levitical cities all over the land of Israel and strategically placed so that any person, any Hebrew, had to walk no more than a day to find a priest if they had a question, if they had to you know, have cleansing or whatever, all the things that uh, we read about in Leviticus that a priest had to do. God put his priests, or if you think about it this way, the access to Scripture, the access to truth, within a day's walk of all his people. He made the word accessible to all his people by scattering the Levites throughout the land. This shows the heart of God. This shows the heart of God. And it hasn't changed. God is far more concerned that we understand his will than we are. In fact, he's gone to great lengths to make us understand the word of God. Just with the Levitical cities, even today, think about the incredible convenience that we have and access to the Word of God. I mean, the average American home, 9 out of 10, not the average, 9 out of 10 uh, American homes has a Bible in it, and most have more than one. We've probably got like 15 or so. All these, and whatever translation you want, you got it. And not even just physical books, which you can find, but also on our little devices. My wife's got my device, but uh, you've probably got one in your hand. Just amazing. The convenience that God's given us to his word. <laughs> I read a few years ago about the Tournament of Roses parade 
stopped, came to a halt, because one float ran out of gas. And it was the float, it was, uh, who was it? It was the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> How ironic. With its vast resources, its own float came to a halt. And I thought in the same way with the Bible, our problem is not a lack of access to it. Our problem is craving it. Our problem is getting in it. Because we don't do what Peter says. We don't long for the pure milk of the word. We long for other things. And we tend to go and eat what we want to eat rather than the word of God. So you're in 1 Peter. Flip over to a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible was a big theme in Peter's life, in his letters. And 2 Peter is all about commitment to the Word of God. But he really says it well in a couple of spots. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 19. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter 1, 19. Peter writes, so, or literally, and, we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Beautiful picture. And it's a picture we've seen before, that the Bible, the prophetic word, is like a lamp shining in a dark place. The dark place is the days of our lives, isn't it? We walk through a dark place. We live in a dark place. And the Word of God is this lamp that, that, is, that lights our path. And, and it says, you do well to pay attention to it until the day dawns. We cling to the Word of God, the written Word of God, until the day dawns. When the day dawns, you don't need a lamp anymore. You've got the sun. And the, the words there are fantastic because that's exactly what Peter means. The day dawn is referring, and the morning star arises in your hearts, is referring to the coming of Christ. We need the Word of God until we've got the Word of God in our presence, Jesus. And at that point, the eternal Word of God we will have in human form as well as in written form. So Peter says, cling to it. Cling to it. We are blessed that we attend a church where on most Sundays, Scripture is central absolutely central to our time. And the same is true of our class. Uh, Kathy and I have been coming to this class. We started with our daughters, I guess, about 16 years ago, maybe more. I, we can't been in the church here 20 years, and I think it was about three or four years into it that we discovered the marathon class and Dr. Toussaint, and uh, we've just been hooked ever since. But uh, in the last 17, uh, 17, feels like 17 years, the last seven years that I've taught this class, we've studied a ton of Scripture. In fact, I look back at some of it. We've gone verse by verse through the book of Mark, through the books of 1st and 2nd Peter, Leviticus, Titus. We've looked at a single message from each of the 66 books of the Bible, which was a lot of fun. We've looked at the lives of Abraham, Joseph, the kings, and much, much, much more. But let's be honest. You don't remember any of that. And I don't either. 
and I taught it. We've all read it. I remember uh, uh, Dr. Hannah was once asked, I think this was in seminary, um, a student said, why should I keep reading the Bible when I can't remember it? And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so glad he asked that question because that's what I think. I mean, seriously, we're constantly exposed to this wonderful truth, and then we close it, and an hour later we go and kick the dog. Why can't we remember it? And Dr. Hannah's response was wonderful. He said, well, it's just like a sieve. You know, you pour water into a sieve, and it just goes right out. But the sieve stays clean. Isn't that a great metaphor? It's a great metaphor. The goal isn't necessarily to retain content. The goal is to be like God, to be holy. And when we continually reflect on the Word of God and keep ourselves in the Word of God, as the statistics show, which I read to you, our lives change. Our lives change. Psalm 1 tells us the wonderful truth that the person who is blessed, the person who is blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord. And on his law, he does what? Meditates day and night. Constantly. Let the word of God be constantly in your mind, like a light that shows you every step to take. It's beautiful, and we see this same truth all throughout the scriptures. God told Joshua before he gets into the land, he says, meditate day and night on this word, on this law, and then you will be successful in what you have for, for, or for me to do. God told the kings to write a copy of the law for themselves. You remember that in Deuteronomy? Each king, as they were to come into power, were in the presence of the priests to write a copy of the law. And then so that, it says, so that he may read it and it may be on his heart every day. You ever thought about doing that, writing your own copy of the Bible? Ooh, that would make it precious though, wouldn't it? It's not like you can just go buy a copy and then toss it. But man, if you wrote it out and the priest said, yep, good job, you got Genesis. Start Exodus now. <laughs> and you did, and you wrote the whole law, and now this is yours. God says, this is yours in your handwriting. Read this so that your heart stays close to me all the days of your life. There's not one king in the Bible recorded who did that. Maybe they did, but it's not recorded that they did. Day and night, day and night. When Jesus was tempted, have you ever noticed the incredible contrast between the temptation of Adam and the temptation of, of uh, Jesus, or Adam and Eve, you might put them together, and Jesus. Very similar if you do a study between the two. They both had the word, they both had a, a context of temptation, though the contexts were incredibly different, weren't they? Adam and Eve were in absolute paradise. They were, they were humans who had not yet fallen. Jesus, on the other hand, was a human who had not fallen, obviously, but he wasn't in paradise. He was starving, literally, in the wilderness, 40 days without any food. And in a context where they had all they needed, they fell. And Jesus, in the context in which he was starving, and he could have turned rocks to bread. But instead, he quoted Deuteronomy, and he said, 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It doesn't mean that our physical lives don't matter, but what it means is we aren't just physical. We are spiritual beings, and the Bible is the means by which we live, not just food. The most important meal of the day is not breakfast. It's Bible. It's Bible. Peter challenges us to eat regularly. Um, you got the photo to put up there, Dave? This is a wonderful story. My stepfather, whom I called my dad, he raised me, Walt. If you look at the picture here of the two guys on the right, the guy on the left, the taller of the two, Walt, is my stepdad. Uh, I can't remember a day of my life that I've not known him, and he is one who I credit to have uh, had a, very much an instrumental part of me being saved as a little boy. But this guy that he's with is named Pete. He's known Pete for uh, 50 years, and I've known Pete all my life. I can't remember a time that I didn't know Pete either. Pete would always come over. Pete was very much an intellectual, not a believer. In fact, for a time he was an atheist, and then he kind of went to agnostic, then he kind of went to deist, just like, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't know about Jesus. My dad prayed for Pete 50 years and witnessed to Pete for 50 years. And then on the left, there is that photo, a photo of a pastor baptizing Pete this past Sunday. He finally trusted in Jesus Christ. And he went up to my dad and said, I want you to know this is all your fault. <laughs> But I show this to show you a real-world example. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up praying for somebody. Don't ever give up on the power of the Word of God. God sprinkles seeds in people's lives, and sometimes it takes a long time to grow, just like it does in your life and in my life as well. It takes a long time. But this is a great example. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Now, take a second, if you would, and turn to the person next to you. Think of, a, think of the name of somebody that you know uh, who doesn't yet know the Lord or someone that you are praying for. And uh, if you don't know a name or if you would just, if you don't, not comfortable saying their name, just say, well, it's a special person or some, something like that. But turn to the person next to you and actually share for a second uh, who this person is. All right, hopefully you've done that. So now, if you would, take just a second, and I, but I, by that I mean maybe 30 seconds, and one of, the, one of the two or three of you in your little group that you just spoke with, pray for those names that were mentioned. Would you do that? Just pray for them. And I will pray as well. And then, then I will interrupt you and pray um, all together. Okay, so let's pray now together. Father, thank you for the power of the Word of God. 
Thank you for this time we've had in the Bible this morning, as we have had so many, many times. Thank you for the blessing of the Bible in our own lives. We think of its power as we read it on a regular basis, just personally, how those special moments of insight come to us where we have this wonderful, wonderful treasure of truth, truth that transforms us, that renews our mind, that keeps our mind clean, and that allows us to continue to walk with you in obedience and to share the good news of Christ with others. Thank you for Pete, for his salvation, for my dad, for his continual doggedness to share Christ, and for all of the names that we have just mentioned now, we lift up before you and pray that this wonderful Word of God would find various avenues, various inroads into the hearts of these names, of these people, that you would use radio, you would use this season, this Christmas season, and the, the random carols that people hear, that you would use these things to transform lives and ultimately bring salvation and spiritual growth. Thanks for the privilege, Lord, of reading the Word today as we open the text, as we allow it to have its way with us, as we have the simple reminder that our commitment to the Word of God is our commitment to our own spiritual health. Like a little baby longs for milk, help us, Lord, to long for the Scripture, that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.